All right, welcome to an installment of The Mend Podcast with me, Joe Roeder of The Reds Fly Shop. Kind of a surprise podcast. I know you all thought I probably drowned in the river and died because I have not posted a podcast in months, I don't believe. Um, so anyway, I'm going to try to get back on it, especially as winter approaches and we have a little bit more spare time. So I enjoy doing these and uh, thanks to all the people that contact me and are like, man, you got to get back on the podcast thing because I appreciate the nudge. Um, I love what I do, but it's hard to squeeze it all in. Um, the uh, Just the the overwhelming success of Red's Fly Shop has been amazing. So thanks to everybody who shops with us and supports us. We ship all over the world every day and we bust our butts to make sure stuff goes out fast it goes out right. It's clean. You can get good service. You can, uh, there's just a lot that goes into that part of our business is connecting you guys with tackle. So anyway, thanks a ton. We've been super busy. Enough of my excuses. Uh, let's get to the podcast. Um, I, I try to make it a point to stay on task here. Um, and, uh, and kind of get going. Uh, if you want lots of humor and entertainment and jokes and stuff like that, uh, you're going to have to find another podcast. If you want good fly fishing intel to get you prep, to go get them on your next adventure, that's us. So, anyway, today's podcast, Trout Spay Mistakes. So, we're at that time of year, like, if you're if you're getting this podcast fresh, uh, you know, it's in the fall. And uh, fall is like the peak time for a trout spay style presentation. I'll just define that as we're going to swing a little hunks of meat, streamers, bait fish, payload, big stuff. So we're going to typically do it on sink tips. That's going to be kind of like where we pivot around. I'll answer some questions about other like trout spay uh, stuff. Um, There's other ways to do it. You can swing soft tackles and use Scandinavian lines. You know, some jokers will even try to use dry flies with spay gear. It's, there's a reason that most pros aren't doing that. Um, it's just not the most effective way to present that other stuff. So, but when it comes to tossing, you know, a number eight Sculpzilla, um, 80 feet to the other side and taking a big bite of a big Western river, that's what I'm talking about here today. So that'll be one of the topics. So fall, let me explain first, like, Fall and early winter, typically, across, say, Western North America, uh, where most of you listeners are from. And if you're not from there, don't worry about it. There's going to be lots of nuggets in here for you guys, too. So, when it comes to why Trout's Bay is great in the late fall, you know, fall, early winter, and the fringe months, February, March, you know, it's great, too. And you can do it all year, but it tends to become strategic advantage this time of year. The reason is those trout come off of that hopper season. And when I say hopper season, I'm talking ants, bees, beetles, terrestrials, and let's just say ample food sources in the forms of your summer uh, insect hatches. And in the fall, we get a couple of hard freezes. The, the, the most river volumes are going to drop. They're going to clear. And those nymphs can be much more challenging for fish to get. And dry, the dry fly fishing slows down tremendously. Um, we don't have terrestrial insects anymore. And the fish, with that river dropping, 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 typically move to mid-river. They're in the traditional, what we call tanks, or traditional runs, you know, where there's depth. 
in moving current. So they, they want a little bit of refuge. They're not up in the shallows anymore hunting for October caddis and crane flies and stone flies and hoppers and such. So they move out in, in midstream and a longer cast with a long presentation, like a swinging fly, a traditional wet fly swing, works really good. The fish sees it coming from a long ways away, makes it look a little bit more believable. Nymphs are harder to get and you've got kind of the perfect storm for some fall streamer fishing. Okay. So that's part of the reason it becomes advantageous. Um, and, uh, I think one of the appealing things about trout spate and why people are so enamored with it. And when I say enamored with that, I mean guides, like we don't guide trout spay a ton. We have a university of fly fishing at Reds and we teach a lot of fish along style trout spay clinics where we we're out there casting with you and demonstrating and fishing and showing you how to read water. Our guide trips, we row boats. You know, we do a lot of nymphing. We give people our, you know, our effort on the oars and it works great. Serious do-it-yourself anglers get enamored with trout spay because they don't need a boat. and something they can do on their own. They can be independent and they can be successful without the aid of a guide. So that's where like a lot of our salesmanship goes is trying to empower people like you listeners to to have a strategy that, that gives you an advantage on foot, um, fishing solo a lot of the time. So where you can grab your trout spay rod, jump in the river, fish solo, uh, you know, get big, long casts, cover a lot of water and hopefully be successful. Um, so I'm going to run through what I think some of the top mistakes are, um, of people getting in here and they're not really in any particular order. I just jotted down some notes, uh, before we started here today. And then I grabbed a couple of questions from guys in the shop that said they, they encounter quite a bit. Um, and I think when it comes to mistakes, like if there's one big one, you know, like getting set up is, is a lot of people do get kind of derailed there because they get a little bit intimidated. You go to our web store and you're like, oh my gosh, look at all these products, look at all these lines and tips and blah, 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 blah. Just ask for help. Call us, live chat, whatever. We, we can get you set up right. We can eliminate the tackle part of it. We'll meet you where you're at on budget. So don't worry about the, I'm going to talk about getting set up, but I don't want that to be an obstacle for anybody we can get it right. Um, we're super helpful, um, with no sales pressure. Like, you don't don't believe me, just try us, just contact us. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone. We'll get you hooked up. So set up, set up is one thing. And I'll talk about that a little bit, but to me, once you're set up is the casting for a lot of folks. If you don't have a, like a, a, a spay resume where you've, you've spay fished for steelhead and salmon, if you're a convert fishing for steelhead and salmon, they're the casting is very similar. I mean, it's all Skagit. We're going to talk exclusively, just about exclusively about Skagit style casting. If you have a spay resume, great. You can step right into this. If you don't and spay is new to you and you're kind of using this as a, a way to, in, you know, one, enhance your trout fishing, but enjoy your trout fishing and, you know, find another discipline to study and work on and work on your cast. You've got to understand Skagit style casting. And I've been spay casting for a long time. Uh, I'm proficient at it, but I think if somebody had sat me down and just talked to me and demonstrated to me before they let me touch a rod so that I understood Skagit style casting, everything else would have been much, much easier. People get so caught up in trying to copy, you know, the motions that they see and the tempo that they see. And they think because the fly shoots out there 60 feet that somehow you have to be fast and have a lot of power. And schedule style casting is very slow. 
Skagit style rods are meant to bend deep down in the butt and have a nice, smooth, relaxing rebound. So understanding that, that's the first thing I'm going to explain on this podcast is Skagit style casting. It is, okay, the history of it. All right, so spade casting started in Europe, totally different system, Scandinavian style lines, traditional lines, much quicker, snappier casts with airborne anchors. Uh, if you don't know what that means, just trust me, it's just quicker and um, a little bit snappier with much longer lines. Um, you know, 30 years ago, or, or however long it was on the Skagit River, you know, group of guys, diehard steelheaders are going, man, we need to be able to use these two-handed rods, but we got to be able to throw sink tips. We got to be able to throw heavy flies. Um, spay fishing originated targeting Atlantic salmon, you know, which you can throw much lighter, lighter, smaller, sparser flies for Atlantic salmon. And uh, they'll come to the surface and eat that. And so the gear set and the requirements were very different. So the kind of our founding fathers of spay started to cannibalize 12 weight lines and other heavy lines and build their own heads and build their own tips and kind of kind of create their own series of casts and now the Skagit River really is probably the most faint you know one of the most famous rivers in the world because it birthed or spawned to use play on words great pun there um Skagit's outcasting so it it became more of a shooting head game where you would you know you had a short heavy head they they started out about 28 feet they got down to about 23 feet which is now the standard and you can use 10 or 15 foot tips on there and uh, Skagit style casting was kind of born here in the Pacific Northwest and moving forward um, the lines changed a little bit and modified gear and it became like modern you know more modern spay caster we know it's more modern spay casting so but. At its core, Skagit style casting, it's very slow. It's very methodical. Um, the cast is really broken into three parts. Um, and I did a step-by-step video series, and I'll try to remember to put a link in the description of this. But if you go to our YouTube channel, there's a playlist that says, I think it's Getting Started or Beginner's Trout Spay. And it's broken into 10 little parts, 10 short little videos that are anywhere from a minute to three or four minutes long. Just step by step, and I broke it up so that you could rewatch certain parts of it to better understand them very easily and index them. But Skagit style casting is sustained anchor casting. And the anchor is essentially your fly and the end of your sink tip. And that's what connects you with the water during the cast. And Skagit style casting is once you anchor, uh, and you'll see this in the video, that's a strategic repositioning of the fly. So the fly is hanging below you in the current, let's say. And now I'm going to anchor. So I'm going to strategically reposition the line. It can look a couple different ways. And just watch the video series to get all the details um, in with in the video at some other time. But you have to understand that when we have sustained anchor casting, once you anchor or reposition that fly in, at the first step of the cast, that fly has to remain in contact. And the end of your sink tip has to remain in contact with the water throughout the duration of the stroke until that last moment when it takes flight across the river. And too many people hurry. They are going too fast. They're bull whipping. They're snapping. They're lifting. They're blowing their anchor because they don't understand that Skagit style casting is sustained anchor casting. And I think that that fundamentally, like right there, is so important before you ever even grab a rod um, that you understand how Skagit style casting really works and that it's 
it's broken into several parts and you have to treat them somewhat independently of one another to get them right because if you fail the first step, steps two and three aren't going to work out very well for you. So, schedule style casting and then, um, you know, when it gets into, you know, the tactical use of the cast and, and getting in the water, uh, understanding the anchor um, and the video series does a great job, but the anchor is like the cornerstone or the key for your whole cast. If you make a really good anchor, everything else is super easy. And the anchor just, that's literally all it is, is you're just repositioning the fly in the line around yourself to put it in a position to where it can then be propelled, you know, out to distance, whatever that distance might be. Uh, it could be 30 feet, it could be 80 feet, uh, but the anchor is, is key. So understand the anchor really well, like take some time before you, you know, before you start flogging away at the water to, to really, truly understand the criteria of a good quality anchor. And the, the, the criteria is really that the fly has to be on the side of your body that you're going to cast off of. If you're a right-hander, your right side's your strong side. And so a, a right shoulder cast or cast on the right side of your body, fly has to be on your right. If you're going to cast off your left shoulder, the fly has to be on your left. The other criteria are that the fly should be a rod length and a half away from you. And uh, it should be uh, approximately the direction you're going to cast. Technically, the end of your sink tip should be right at the direction that you're going to cast. So it becomes an aiming mechanism. I don't want to get too, like, I could go on and on just about the, the, the nuance of spay casting. But if we're going to learn something here, it's going to be fly within a rod length and a half. You flies on the correct side of your body and your rod tip is, is pointed away from your fly. Not 180 degrees away from it, but just away from your fly. And, and away can vary based on head length, tip length, tippet length, that kind of stuff. But the rod has to be pointed away from the fly. So you can watch the video series, but I'm going to repeat it again because you need redundancy. Write it down. Uh, remember it. Uh, fly within a rod length and a half, correct side of your body, rod tip pointed away. The anchor is key. The next steps are outline the videos. I'm going to keep pointing you back there. Uh, you're going to form a, essentially sweep your rod and form a D loop. And then the last step is the cast. And, uh, I'm going to kind of leave those alone because the anchor is that important. Um, I just want to emphasize that is one of the top mistakes, top two mistakes people make is not understanding Skagit style casting and then not appreciating, uh, the value of a really, really good anchor. All right, so let's assume you're you're on your way now, and uh, you've got your setup. We'll talk yeah, at the end. I'll kind of wrap up some setup details and things. But uh, the next thing is you, you've got this information. You're ready to go, and uh, you're kind of ready to become like proficient, you know, and make sure that you look like Skagit Master out there. And the next one is, and this goes back to like guiding steelhead. I guided steelhead with spay gear a lot, you know, over the course of guide career, and uh, the next one is just snagging up. You know, you've got this new rod and uh, this new system, and you're kind of learning these things, and you got a way to fly on there, and you got a sink tip, and uh, an enormous impediment to people's progress is simply going to be getting good reps in, right? So we've got to stay fluid, and if we're snagging up, we become highly inefficient, and it's it's just painful to watch. Like when you're a guide or coach, instructor whatever you want to call your role that day, and like you're watching your, 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 your student and they're just consistently snagging. 
And uh, that becomes very problematic when you're snagging um, because it's really messy, especially when you're, <laughs> you get an 11 and a half foot rod now. Um, it's longer, it's more awkward. You get this thin running line. You, you, it, It's not familiar gear. It's not an extension of your body just yet, you know. So people snag and uh, that becomes a huge impediment to reps because if you have any slack, you know, so say make this cast and it just lands like a pile of crap out there, right? And it just sinks and you think you're swinging, you're actually dead drifting it, the fly snags up, now you're trying to get the fly off, you break off your fly, now you're messing with tippet, and you could have gotten 6, 8, 10, 12, 20 reps in um, and familiarize yourself with, with the cast. Snagging up is huge. So a couple of tips on just making sure that you don't get snagged up. You and I wrote this one down, just using too heavy of a sink tip, meaning too fast, okay? Not... I'll get into a little sink tip stuff at the end because that was one of the questions that we get all the time is just pairing up the right sink tip. So just a slow sinking tip to start. Something that sinks at two or three inches per second. There's lots of different options for sink tips. If you got a question, just hit us on live chat, email, call, whatever. We'll get you hooked up, okay? So slow sinking sink tip is really important. Um, a slow sinking sink tip grips the water better than a floating tip. So it's actually easier to learn with a sink tip versus a floating tip. And then uh, an unweighted fly to start uh, or just a very lightweight. So with a tiny bead head, just enough to where it sinks a few inches during your anchor and then cast to give you a good connection with the water, which is going to, which is then going to load the rod and allow it to spring forward and, and, and launch. Um, so light sink tip, don't snag up. Okay. Uh, Snagging up is also caused by people trying to litany, a litany. This is a crisis out there. I swear to you, is people trying to cast too much line. So just shoot the head at first and and do it very slow. Uh, use minimal effort um, to gain the, let me rephrase this. Um, you want to use the minimum necessary dose of energy, Okay. Minimum effective dose, let's say. Okay, minimum effective dose of energy. That way later on, when we're heaving a little longer cast, need to shoot a little bit more line, need to throw a little bit bigger fly, or you're in a, a kind of a tricky situation. That way when you give it a little bit more throttle, you actually get something out of it. So minimum effective dose on energy. When it comes to snagging up and why this is important is if you if you attempt to shoot line that you're not capable of, it's going to land with a lot of slack, and that creates dead drifting. And all of a sudden, your sink tip is now wrapped around a boulder in the middle of the river because the sink tip just, just sunk. It didn't have tension to properly swing through and, and swim that fly uh, across river. It's a problem. So uh, put a governor on. Don't cast too much line. Don't get too enamored by the big cast. Trout spay, really casting short is, you know, being able to know when to cast short is incredibly important. I'll get to that in just a minute. But we need to prevent snags. The other thing is um, standing in some current when you're learning so that when your fly does get to the end of the swing, it's still being held up by some current and not just dying in a slow pool at the end, catching sticks or other debris. So a hang down, snag up. Uh, hang downs for steelhead presentations are really critical. Hang downs for trout fishing, eh, take them or leave them. Uh, I, I get most of my fish on that initial lift, and, and when that fly just starts to lift and turn uh, is kind of the, the sweet spot of my presentation. So make sure you're not snagging up. 
unweighted flies, slow sinking tips, don't shoot too much line, and if you're starting to snag at the hang down, strip that line back up or pull that line back up before you snag because I want you to get plenty of reps in. If you get good at the casting, then we can begin to focus really exclusively on an excellent presentation at that at that point. All right, so the next mistake is just people in general, there's just observation, they don't tend to have um, an appreciation for just clean and quiet uh, is what I wrote down. Like I, I was thinking about this podcast and one of the attributes that, that I would want said about me if somebody were to watch me, you know, work down a run, uh, spay fishing for trout is just, boy, that was clean and quiet. And clean and quiet is the clean part is just really very few mistakes. And it doesn't mean like casting amazingly well. It's just clean, consistent, a tight layout. You can't let your fly land far behind your sink tip, meaning you make a, you make a cast of say 40 feet and your fly, your, your, your line unfurls and your sink tip is in the water and then your fly is hitting last, meaning the sink tip has already started downstream by the time your fly hits. And then we've got to figure out how to correct it so that, you know, our sink tip isn't getting to the trout before our fly. So clean and quiet, uh, good line handling skills, um, just consistency. So we kind of have this almost militant sonar style probing of the run where I take a sweep through there, take a couple steps down, take a sweep through there, take a couple steps down, take a sweep through there, always moving the fly downstream with each cast. Part of the reason that's really critical, and and I'm going to just roll this other tip in there, is people tend to not move enough because they struggle with the cast. And so instead of taking a step down, they want to like, they want to mulligan constantly, mulligan, 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 and they don't want to move downstream. Well, if you're a trout, a mature trout, so a big trout, especially on public rivers that are pressured, can really tolerate seeing the fly twice, you know, like once they might see it in the distance and go, oh my gosh, what was that swimming by? Well, if they see it two, three, four, five times, it, it's old news. They've had now had like a look to evaluate it and it it's not, you haven't stepped it down into them. We need to bring it to the fish and step that thing down. And if you're fishing really clean, like your, your line's shooting out tight every time, uh, it's, it's nice and you know, you, you've, you've exercised some discipline on your line shooting so that we're getting this nice, clean presentation cast after cast, you're much more likely to step down into the fish at the appropriate speed and tempo. So that's kind of the clean part of it. Uh, the quiet part of it is just making sure that if you're hearing any kind of snapping, you're hearing, even hearing your rod move through the air, it means you're applying pressure at the wrong times. You're, you're, you're putting pressure on a rod that's not loaded. And so therefore the, the rod itself is moving quickly through the air, making noise. Uh, Skagit style casting really should be connected with our fly during the cast. And so if you put pressure on the rod, it should be being burdened or bound up or loaded by that line and fly against the water. So that's the quiet part of it. And, and again, it goes kind of back to that minimum effective dose of energy. Like, if you're quiet, if you're casting quietly, you're kind of using that minimum effective dose to execute that cast. The other part, part of that of, of, you know, clean and quiet is if you overcast and use too much energy and that line shoots out to the end and stops, you're going to get a bunch of bounce back. Okay. So it's going to shoot out, get to the end, 
run out of line, and then it'll bounce back at you. And we don't want that because that's not clean. And we're going to get slack in the line, and we're not going to be consistent. So um, don't overcast. Clean and quiet. Evaluate yourself. Give yourself an honest assessment. If, if it doesn't feel effortless, we're probably doing something wrong. It should be clean and quiet as you step down uh, through the run. Okay, the next one, I'm going to kind of get into a few questions um, that, that we commonly get. And uh, I'm going to try to keep the podcast about 30 minutes. Okay, so I gotta, I'm going to rumble through some of this stuff. And uh, as always, questions especially regarding tackle, just reach out to us. Our team is awesome. We love to help. Um, because we want you to experience the same highs we get, man. The tug is the drug. And uh, we want you to have success trout spay fishing. We want you to get that that big yank where you're directly connected to a strong trout and heavy current, tight and right, is it's sweet. So we want to help you. Okay, this question came straight from one of the staff that they, they take all the time. is What do you use for a leader and how long do you make it? Okay, uh, my short answer is three to five feet of 12-pound fluorocarbon tippet. Okay, that's my short answer. There, there is, uh, and I run, I will be perfectly honest with you, I'm a pragmatist. I run straight tippet from the end of my sink tip to my fly. It's one piece, okay? So I loop-to-loop connect my tippet to the end of my sink tip. So I tie a double or triple surgeon's loop, depending on the exact diameter of my line. And I make a loop in one end of that tippet chunk, and then I loop to loop it to the end of my sink tip, and then I tie my fly on with a non-slip mono loop. And that is my tippet. Okay. Now, leaders and tippets and stuff are going to vary based on you know various situations. Uh, we've got some leaders coming our way that I think are going to be awesome for beginning spaycasters. And they're a Skagit-style uh, leader. And there's going to be some six foot, uh, like 12 pound uh, leaders coming from Rio. By the time you listen to this, hopefully uh, they're out. I don't think Rio's released them yet. So sorry for letting the cat out of the bag, Rio. Uh, but they're going to be great because they're going to have a stiffer butt section to help you get really nice turnover and eliminate a lot of wind knots. As you get more proficient in casting, you're not going to get wind and casting knots um, nearly as much. Um, I rarely get a winter casting knot in that straight piece of tippet system, but I like that just tip it to the end of my sink tip. There are other ways to do it where you can tie a pigtail where you put a stronger piece on and then you, you then you junction that. So you might take 20 pound and put that against your sink tip, maybe a foot or two of that, and then transition into your tippet. You can do a pigtail. That's fine. It helps turn over a little bit. It saves a little wear and tear on the end of your sink tip, but the sink tips anymore are so good and those loops are so dense. They've got like some polymer, some probably NASA space age garbage they put on the end of that thing to make it tough. I'm sure you could read a product description and learn exactly what they're putting on there to toughen them up. But those tips are, or those loops on the tips are tough and hard. The tippet doesn't seem to bite into them the way it did, you know, five or 10 years ago. So I don't think you had to really worry about it. And I think for sink tips or 20, 25 bucks, you know, one lasts several seasons for you. Just buy a new one, Fitty Roads. Uh, who cares? It's, it's not that big a deal for getting several seasons of use out of a sink tip. They're not, you know, necessarily have to use them for an entire, a lifetime. Uh, I think the time you save and just loop the looping tip it on there will be, uh, be a gain for you. So that's my short answer in extremely clear water. I might run seven feet, uh, on a sink tip, but 
the further your fly is from that sink tip, you lose a lot of control and you lose a lot of swing and push through. I mean, you really want that current pushing the sink tip, which is then carrying your fly. The current can't push on the fly enough to really give it that lively action, and that meandering and fluttering that it gets when it's closer to the sink tip. So there's a real balance, um, a real balance there. So, but that's mine. Three to five feet. If it's, uh, you know, low light, off-colored water, perhaps three feet, man, I get great presentation out of that. Clear water, more open, run five feet. So um, that's my, like I said, a short answer there. Uh, the last, you know, question that I wrote down uh, is uh, reading water. And uh, the reading water part of it is we want to make sure that when we're getting started in this, we're spending time in, in good water that's appropriate for swinging. And uh, most water appropriate for swinging has to be faster out where you're laying your fly, which is very common of a classic, you know, what I'll call a run. And a run is uh, water that's pouring into um, a flat area that is appropriate fishing depth. Maybe my run is two to six feet deep would be great. It's moving faster in the center or at least out where my fly is landing to push my fly ahead of my sink tip and allow my swing to perform well with my fly downstream of my sink tip and basically work through in in a tight line presentation where I'm taking a big sweep through that area. Uh, I see a lot of people try to, they, they swing, and if you're not standing in current, like if you're standing dead, like in dead water in a back eddy, um, or slack water in a pool, you're probably not going to get a very effective swing. Um, now, those spots can certainly be sp- swung and spay fished, but they're a little tougher. So try to identify long, wide sections where that water is moving a minimum of walking speed and your fly is hitting out in faster current and that the, the current is pushing against your legs. It doesn't have to be moving fast, but it should be moving a little bit. And uh, the longer, wider expanses are the ones that you're going to have an advantage in in trout spay fishing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of leave reading water with that. So we need water moving against our legs, uh, faster out where your fly is hitting. Uh, l- let's start with that. And, uh, and, and, I mean, there's so many different types of rivers. You know, I could get into talking about, you know, boulder structure uh, and and trying to swing both the fronts, the boulders, backs, the boulders, and then planning your steps around the obstacles that are in the run. But let's just make sure that you're getting out there and getting started uh, and being effective. And then you can apply some of that kind of that predator's instinct um, out there and where you stand in the run. And, you know, a lot of times I'll step out further closer to my target to alter my presentation as I move down on my back off. So it's not necessarily just doing this real boring stepping down a run, just take a swing, take two steps, take a swing, take two steps. I want you moving around so that you can get your fly to lift and turn. I'll talk about that next in the fishiest areas of the run. Okay. Next question that one of the guys in the shop threw at me, and that was, uh, what is a good swing look and feel like and act like. So what's a good swing? A good swing to me is I'm going to, I'm going to put a little sink on my fly. So I'm going to throw my fly out about 90 degrees. Okay. Uh, with steelhead, I I typically fish a lot steeper downstream angles, but with trout, I really want to get that lift. I really want to make my fly look. So uh, let's talk just trout fishing philosophy for a second, especially for these smarter trout. I mean, a trout that's six years old, 
that thing's had a lot of flies thrown at it in most of these western rivers, right? If you can show a trout the origin of its prey, like, and, and provide an answer, where did this thing come from? From a grasshopper to a streamer or a nymph. If you can show those nicer trout where the fly came from, it is way more likely to eat it, if it's believable. Meaning, if you throw a grasshopper and it bounces off a blade of grass and the trout sees that, and just trust me, they do. They, they see the fly before it even lands in the water. They see it bounce off a blade of grass and fall in the water. The trout's more likely to eat it. The same, and the longer I've guided, the more I believe these trout are far more perceptive on the behavior of a fly than we give them credit for. We think it's a game. To the trout, it's life or death. They choose what they're going to eat selectively. Okay, especially on fly behavior, not so much the fly itself. So for like a trout space wing, let's say I'm throwing a sculpin pattern. If I can make it look like that sculpin came from the bottom and is now being washed up in the water column and the, the, the bait fish or the, the forage fish, minnow, whatever you want to call it, is now traveling, that's far more believable. So just pr- kind of put yourself in the trout's perspective. You're holding in this river. You've been there all day, every day for a week. Same little area. You know this area. And a sculpin comes swimming by and it's up over your head and it's up above you. And you're like, yeah, that's just tip- not typical behavior. You know, you don't, you don't know where that thing came from. That's just weird. A highly aggressive fish will certainly eat that. But let's be honest. We're not, these fish have options, man. They don't have to eat. They're not starving. They don't have to eat everything that moves by them. Inversely, you throw a sculpin pattern and you let it sink and you get it down right. And then that, as that line begins to tension, the fly begins to lift and you're that trout, and it appears as though that sculpin came from the boulders along the bottom and then swims up and lifts up right in front of you, the trout could see that where the fly came from or where that critter came from, and they're far more likely to take it. So to me, I'm putting a cast at, say, 90 degrees on average, putting a mend in it, sink, 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 and then I'm letting that fly line come tight against the fly, I'm going to feel it tension up. At that point, I'm dead steady. My rod's not moving. Fly begins to lift. It begins to turn out and come toward me. And as that fly lifts and begins its initial turn toward me, that's the sweet spot of my presentation. At that point, I'm feeling tension on the line, and I can feel that fly swimming and working through the current. I can feel that vibe against the current. The more tension, the faster the fly's moving. The less tension, the slower the fly's moving. So, you need to monitor the, the rate of travel so that when you get strikes, you kind of remember how much tension was on that line because that's a direct correlation to your fly speed, okay? But I want my fly to sink. I want it to lift. I want it to turn and then swim in towards me. And then I'll let it swim all the way into the hang down as long as I still have tension on the line. I'm going to go ahead and let it swim all the way into the hang down. Strip up my line. To, as I'm stripping it up, I can take a couple steps downstream Maybe I'm moving out a little bit. Maybe I'm moving in a little bit to make sure my fly lifts and turns at the appropriate time. Send it again. Boom. Clean and quiet. Put a mend in it. Fly sinks. Make it look like that fly's coming up off the bottom. You don't have to hit the bottom. You don't want to hit the bottom very frequently, but what you want to do once in a while is find the bottom. Okay? We need to know where it's at. We need to, we need to figure out how to make contact so that I know that if I cast slight 10 degrees upstream and put a big mend in it, I hit the bottom. Now I know that if I cast 90 degrees or 10 degrees below 90 degrees to the current, now I'm just getting near the bottom, which is what I want. 
So a good swing to me offers a nice lift of the fly, a nice turn, and I want to make sure that wherever I have predicted the trout's going to be, I'm getting that nice lift and turn just barely beyond where I think that trout is holding, not way beyond it, but just barely beyond, so that I can sweep that fly up and across and scoop that fly out of there right in front of the trout, hopefully getting uh, a big strike right there. Okay, so that's what a good swing looks and feels like to me. Okay, the last question, uh, it was kind of more of a discussion, is just, uh, you know, attributes. Of a, there, there's an attribute of like a really successful swing fisherman. So let's just say I run out and I'm doing a school or a guide trip and I've got two anglers, you know, fishing trout space gear side by side. And the one is like, one angler might have like a real appreciation uh, for uh the fact that we're presenting a fly that might be an inch or two inches long. Um, I don't want to dive, I don't want to deep dive too much way down into like fly selection. I, I think that if, if you get our website and I, I think we have a collection of flies that are like, you know, or uh, we have a collection on our website that is shot by technique and it's trout spay. And so like all the rods, you know, lines, leaders, tips and stuff that we think are relevant to trout spay are in that collection. It's good. Our, our web, go to the main navigation and uh, there's a shop by technique and click trout spay. And if you want to see flies, filter it backwards from like price low to high. And you'll see some of the flies. A lot of the flies like the boo face, for instance, um, bars boo face. It's, it's this little, very unassuming fly, maybe two inches long. And that fly right there um, is one of our most effective patterns. And there's like little tiny little mini zonkers and little tiny uh little jig leeches and stuff like that really small stuff really seems to be like our go-to like for trout spay fishing now we throw some giant streamers and stuff too and there's applications for that but we tend to hook more fish and get way more hookups when we're using those little flies because we don't need we have a heavy sink tip you know we can get a sink tip that sinks at six inches per second we don't really need a big heavy fly in order to get down like we do with a floating line and a single-handed rod we can throw a, a fast sinking tip with a little fly we can get a nice sweep through there and um, anglers that really have an appreciation for the fact that you're swinging or presenting a little critter that is like tiny like two inches long man you've got to hold that rod dead steady you've got to be quiet you can't wiggle you can't move you can't twitch your rod around if you you can jig these flies and you can give them action stuff but you've got to realize you're using a rod that's probably 11 to 12 feet you know i have a loomis short spay that's 11 foot 11 inches a little twitch of the rod tip on an 11 foot 11 inch rod creates a massive amount of movement so when it comes to like just holding dead steady and having appreciation. I'm making a tiny little critter swim across the river. Hold steady, consistent, clean tension on the line, not changing tensions, not changing angles. The the rod and the, the, the very quiet connection to that swing. I can have two anglers fishing side by side, throwing the same cast, and one dude gets it, man. He's quiet. He's methodical, zen-like. I try not to talk to fishermen while they're they're spay fishing because the tiniest little distraction will often cause their rod tip to twitch, jump, or just change angles and just really erode the, the presentation. So 
Uh, that's what I want you to, to know. Like quiet swings. It's a tiny little critter. We're not throwing Panther Martins anymore, man. You can reel those things like mad across the room and let's try to go out of their minds for them, right? Like we're presenting little flies, like little sculpin flies, little things that swim very directly. And these trout are smart. So like stay cool, stay quiet. Don't twitch the rod around. If you're going to jig, which I think jigging, you know, works great. It's got to be super consistent, a little snap of the rod tip straight up and down. And just what we're trying to do is we're trying to puff a little slack into that fly. So it's actually not the up twitch or the, the yank or the jig that is really creating the action. It's the drop of the tip that makes slack and allows that fly to puff up and look fat, for instance. And, and it creates the illusion that the body is undulating in that, that minnow. So we can create S-curves in that minnow, create a lot of little action. But those jigs got to be like, especially for rainbows, they've got to be like doo. Do, 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 do. Like, it can't be like, do, 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 do. you know, like random jigging doesn't work, man. Like, I've watched it enough times to be like, I just want to pull my hair out sometimes when people don't have that jigging tempo. So, really steady. Uh, you want the prey to appear uh, predictable to the trout, and they're going to be much more likely to want to intercept that as it's moving across. Um, and then I guess like my conclusion, uh, here is that get in trout's bay. It's just an absolute kick-ass discipline, you know, within the realm of fly fishing. It is so much fun to be able to send, and I don't want you casting too far. It's fun to cast long ways, but it's not going to, it's generally not going to catch you more fish. Just shoot the head of the line plus 10, 15 feet. Uh, most of these Skagit heads anymore are going to be 12 to 15 feet long. Throw a 10-foot sink tip on there. You've got 22 to 25 feet plus a liter. So you've already got 30 feet. Shoot another 10. Those are 40-foot casts. Um, that's, you know, 10 to 15 feet of shooting line is probably the sweet spot on average from my experience. You don't need to shoot a whole lot more than that. In real wide runs, you certainly can. And uh, it's pretty cool when you throw an 80-footer, you know, which is pretty hard to do on these little micro spay heads. I think I don't think any of us are casting quite as far as we think we are. Uh, so anyway, you could certainly bomb if you want to, but just don't feel like you got it. Like nice, clean, quiet, 40-foot cast, get a good scoop, get a good swing. Uh, it's great discipline. It, it's You're going you're gonna to just be dying to get back out and do it again. You go have a little bit of success. You hook up tight line on a couple of really hunky rainbows uh, in swift water. Uh, you're going to be as hooked as I am, and I want you to experience those same highs that I get out of that. So anyway, uh, in conclusion, shop at Reds. Check us out on Instagram. Follow our YouTube channel. Get with us. We'll take good care of you. We love what we do here. And uh, thanks to all those folks that prod me get this podcast going again. Promise to keep up on it a little bit better uh, these upcoming years.